grateful tonight to be sharing his word with you. And uh, like I've said so often, it is truly a privilege. And man, it is amazing that we have this in our language uh, to understand, but also to have Holy Spirit to make that alive in us. And so how many brought your Bibles tonight? You got a few there? We got a few? Oh, man, we want to encourage you to bring them. I encourage you to open the book and open to your heart what's in it. Uh, Our mission and vision as a church is is to help people find Christ and find community. And, uh, man, he is revealed through his word. So if you have your Bibles, even if it's uh, online or... um, in front of you there, go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to get there in a, in, a, in a minute. But Christmas is right around the corner. It's crazy. Man, 2022 is uh, almost in the rearview mirror. It is crazy how fast that goes. And, you know, you start hearing the songs on the radio. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, the mistletoeing and hearts glowing and parties for hosting, marshmallows for roasting, caroling out in the snow. It's the half-happiest season of all. And some are like, yeah, you know, that's great for you. But that's not true for everyone. We're aware of that, too, that Christmas can be some of the most, uh, maybe one of the most painful times of the, of the year for, for, uh, for many. Um, even just chatting with some of my buddies and realizing how the seasonal depression of this, these darker days, and just even in general, the darkness of our world right now, it can be one of those things where there's these, these dreary feelings of darkness. It's like, man, this is supposed to be the, this season of happiness and it, 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 um, it isn't always, uh, and yet it was meant to be. And for others, maybe, you know, I, th- I was thinking about this too, that for many, Christmas can be spelled with four letters, B-U-S-Y, busy, just busy. And I was thinking about it, and sometimes, I don't know, I just, I try to become a poet uh, on the spot, so we'll try it here tonight. But busy is like the shopping in the crowds and online, Dropping hundies on gifts and fine wine, plopping down to wrap presents for show, topping them off with a big shiny bow, hopping to get Christmas dinner on the tables, swapping stories, listening to Uncle Bob's fables, cropping that selfie in your new fit, flopping on the couch to nap for a bit, whopping headache from too much fun, mopping the floors after it's all done. Merry Christmas, you say with a shout, rarely stopping to consider what it's really all about. And if you know anything else that rhymes with opping, let me know. I think I covered them all. But that's that last line, rarely stopping to consider what Christmas is all about. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to uh, just, just share a series with you called Considering Christmas. Considering Christmas. And I want to take some time to do that t- tonight with you. Um, on uh, my family, we, we take uh, and practice, and we've just, we began to do this a couple of months ago, practicing Sabbath uh, on Mondays. And uh, it took us a while to figure out the day, but we, uh, we, and you might be like, well, what is, what is that? We basically don't do any work at all. No, no paid work, no unpaid work, no housework, no work at all. Uh, and it is lovely. Uh, we turn off the phone. So if you've been trying to get a hold of me on Mondays, don't because you won't. Uh, I, we don't pick up the phone. And it is just, it is just, it's amazing. My, my wife was saying too, her happiest days are the days where, you know, it's like not on, you know, there's no social media or whatever. It's like we just start realizing uh, this. And, and we spend some time as a family. We'll get uh, in the morning after we do like a special breakfast. We bring out the fine china. Well, what's one of the fine china? But the, the tall glasses and whatever else. So we, you know, we have this, this fun breakfast together as a family. We'll move to our living room. We'll sit in a circle and we'll just t- talk as a family about our highs and lows and where we've seen God at work in our life over the past week. Uh, and just being in this encouragement to one another. And feel free to copy us. I would love for you to do that. Uh, this week, we um, read a passage 
from Psalm chapter 8, and I just want to read it to you. You can stay in Matthew, but Psalm chapter 8 just said this. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're even mindful of him? What is man that you even think of him? And the son of man that you'd visit him. What's he, he's, you know, as we sat there with our kids, we were just like, man, when you ponder how great God is, when you think about creation and you think about all of these amazing things of him, it really puts, uh, puts things in perspective that his incredible greatness, and yet, you know, so often we're unaware of it. And that's what the psalmist is saying. When I stop and I consider, you know, the word consider just simply means this, to think carefully about, especially before making a decision to think carefully about, especially before making a decision. And so I wanted to talk about that about Christmas. How, how often do we consider Christmas? Like really think carefully about it, especially before making a decision. It's so easy to get used to the routine of Christmas without truly slowing down to consider the wonder, the mystery, the joy, the hope of this event. Yeah, we can say it, but to just really sit back and allow it to permeate our very lives, the real lives we're really living right now. And so I want to look at Matthew's account um, with you tonight, his account of the, this great event, this, this purpose for Christmas, and, you know, pondering, considering, what did he write and why did he write it? You know, the story for Matthew did not begin at a manger. He wasn't there. It, he wouldn't even have wrote about the manger if it hadn't been for a cross and a tomb. It was actually, this is where, this is where Matthew's um, story started. He came to a, a tomb and realized that the tomb was an empty tomb where his, the, the, the body of his friend Jesus was, had just been there. And, you know, they, they don't take the bodies out. Of this. He had walked out. He was risen from the dead. And they realized, they're like, he really is who he said he is. He, he is the son of God. He is, he, he is the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior we've been waiting for. And so they, him and a few others wrote their eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus and um, captured some of the, the other eyewitnesses uh, from the people who were there. So Matthew chapter 2, um, even if you just go back to Matthew 1 verse 18, just flip a page back, here's what Matthew writes. He's like, this is what happened. Verse 18, he says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. He's like, I'm telling you something that happened. I'm not writing a story. I'm not writing, you know, you know uh, a, a gazillion billion years ago or a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, there was a stable. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't writing a story. He's writing, this is what happened. This is what we saw. Matthew discovered that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he wanted others to be able to discover that for themselves. So he's writing, and he, he, Matthew's account, he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to people who, who had um, read and been raised on the Old Testament scriptures, which they only knew it to be the scriptures. He, he knew that they had, that's what they had been raised on. He's like, I'm going to make a case. I want to make a case from the Old Testament that Jesus is who we've been waiting for. That the whole Old Testament has been pointing to him. You know, he may have told them, don't ignore the Old Testament. He may tell us the same thing. Don't ignore the Old Testament. Recognize that it, it was pointing to Jesus the, the whole time. And as Matthew begins to write, he basically is asking his audience, and I would say the same tonight, consider this. Here's my case. Consider this. And so we're going to just read Matthew's account just simply as it's written. I'd encourage you to follow along. Um, because really tonight, we don't really need clever words as much as we need the word, that it is just enough. Paul actually, as I was reading this week, Paul encouraged Timothy uh, in his letters. He said to him at one point, he's like, Timothy, I want you to preach and teach, but I want you just to read the scriptures to the church. Just, just read them. 
And so tonight we're gonna we're gonna do that. Gonna share some thoughts on it after, um, but I, they may be very different ones than what jump out at you tonight. And so I'd encourage you, and I often do this with our kids as we're reading through. If something jumps out at you, highlight it, mark it, put something there that the next time you come by, you'll remember this moment and 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 dig a little deeper as to why it jumps out at you. So in Matthew chapter two, let's read together, which means I'll read out loud and you just follow along. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Can you picture it? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, hey, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, and he returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. As I read that story again, read it so many times, just reminded of the contrasts that we see between Herod and the wise men, their reactions, their responses, you know, to, to the birth of Jesus in the story. They're actually very reflective of a lot of responses and reactions we have from people today. And, and Matthew's writing what happened as a warning and as an encouragement to those who would ever read this in the future. He probably never realized that in a little town of Balmoral, there would be people reading his account. But the warning and the encouragement remain as powerful today as it were back then. Did you realize that these guys, they're living in a time when biblical prophecy is being fulfilled 
in real time? I thought, that's, that's incredible. They're like, Matthew's saying, hey, this is what the prophet said, and it's happening right now. And you know, I think there's many of us who consider that thought as well, that we might very well be living in a time where biblical prophecy is, being, is happening in real time. I don't, I mean, it's, I find it a little bit humorous, but how many people have told me, you know, over the last year or so that they've started reading Revelation? Like, way more people are reading Revelation now than ever before. It's like they read the news, like, where's that in Revelation, right? It's like, but I think it's great. I think that, that we've encouraged people for the last little while to live ready. It's good being that in, in, the, in the book and, and, and looking for what, may, what he may be doing. That's what Matthew was trying to explain to them. He's like, hey, the signs were all there. You know, we seem to have missed it all this time, but the guy rose from the dead. So we went back and realized, oh yeah, there's a picture. There's something pointing to him. There's another one pointing to him. He says, you know, live, live ready. Matthew actually tells us about the wise men and, and how they came from the east to Jerusalem. They came to the capital city and they start asking questions about a new king. And here we have it in verse two. So you can go back to verse two. It says this, where is, here's the question. They come to Jerusalem, like, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Think about that for a minute. Here's some pretty important guys. These are wealthy people, but they, and, they, and they're important, but they recognize there's somebody more important than them in their midst. There's somebody more important than them. Didn't matter how important they were, they were like, there's something special about this king. You know, there's something about him that matters. And they like, you know, they, they heard the message through the star. It's why we actually put a star up on the building here to, to, uh, this week. And maybe you saw it as you, you were driving in. Our hope is that people are going to see that star even as we get ready for Christmas. And as they come into that building, they'll have that similar thing of like, we, we, we saw the star and we're coming to, to we want to we understand what's, uh, what's happening here, what's going on. But this is the message that God was just revealing himself to them through creation. And he still does the same today. But here they are. They see a star and they're drawn to it. They're drawn to it. There's something in their heart that's like, man, come on. There's something about this you need to find the answer to. There's, there's this longing on the inside. Like we, we, we wanna, we're gonna go wherever this takes us, but we wanna find what's at the end of this star. We wanna find this king. Herod, on the other hand, is the opposite. You know, Matthew also tells us his, verse three, says King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this message, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And as I read read that, I thought, man, whoever these three magi were, the, you know, the magi, they, they, uh, they weren't just some like, you know, three little, uh, little guys on little camels or whatever you see in the cartoons. It was probably more like this picture where there's like a whole group of them because they're a big deal. Uh, when they, when they, when they get to Jerusalem, people notice you ever, you know, you ever have that where you like, you see a, you know, a sweet ride go by uh, and you're like, hey, you just have to turn. Like we have the same uh, exotic cars drive by our house. They take 55, like, I don't know, like a bunch of times uh, every week through the summer. And every time it's like, oh, I got to stop and watch. Which one's in which order now? Is the green one first? Or what? It's like, you just got to watch. Or when a Tesla drives into our parking lot here and the gullwing doors go, you're like, oh, who is it? If you're here tomorrow, you might get to see. But it's, that, it's, it's like, it's noticeable. And that's what happened. We're picturing a major, major city. And it's not three little guys coming around asking questions. People are like, oh, these are important people. And they're asking questions about a new king. And the word gets back to Herod. And Herod hears the message and it says he's deeply disturbed. The historian Josephus tells us that Herod the Great, he, the reason he was disturbed, we, we get some insight into that because this was a guy who was king and he was determined to stay king. 
He, he, the, when he heard there's another king, that was a major problem for him. So to the point where he, I forget how many wives he had, but he had nine sons. And uh, out of his nine sons, as his you know, three eldest sons got to the place where he heard that they were thinking about becoming king, he had them all executed. And then when the mom tried to protect them, Marianne, he had her executed too. Because nobody was going to stop him from being king. I'm the king. Nobody's going to get in the way, including my own kids. It's the reason why he executed and had all those babies. And they say about possibly 14,000 is the number of red. But we, we don't fully know. All those babies in the surrounding area of, uh, of Bethlehem that would be under the age of two. He's like, has them all executed for the same reason. One of them might be the one who's going to try and become king. You know, I thought about that. That reaction, we're like, we don't, we don't really see that happen where people are like, oh yeah, we'll have people killed so they don't, they don't, uh, they don't tell me what to do or whatever. We don't, we don't see that. But what we do see is that there's people who say, I, I, I don't know that I want God to be king of my life. I, I don't... I, I'm okay to believe in a God, but I, he, I don't want him telling me what to do. Uh, I want to tell me what to do. Christ and find community. And uh, man, he is revealed through his word. So if you have your Bibles, even if it's uh, online or um, in front of you there, go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to get there in a, in, a, in a minute. But Christmas is right around the corner. It's crazy. Man, 2022 is uh, almost in the rearview mirror. It is crazy how fast that goes. And you, know, you start hearing the songs on the radio. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, the mistletoeing and hearts glowing and parties for hosting, marshmallows for roasting, caroling out in the snow. It's the half-happiest season of all. And some are like, yeah, you know, that's great for you. But that's not true for everyone. We're aware of that, too, that Christmas can be some of the most, uh, maybe one of the most painful times of the, of the year for, for, uh, for many. Um, even just chatting with some of my buddies and realizing how the seasonal depression of this, these darker days, and just even in general, the darkness of our world right now, it can be one of those things where there's these, these dreary feelings of darkness. It's like, man, this is supposed to be the, this season of happiness, and it, 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 um, it isn't always uh, and yet it was meant to be. And for others, maybe, you know, I, th- I was thinking about this too, that for many, Christmas can be spelled with four letters. B-U-S-Y. Busy. Just busy. And I was thinking about it, and sometimes, I don't know, I just, I try to become a poet uh, on the spot. So we'll try it here tonight. But busy is like the shopping in the crowds and online, dropping hundies on gifts and fine wine, plopping down to wrap presents for show, topping them off with a big shiny bow, hopping to get Christmas dinner on the tables, swapping stories, listening to Uncle Bob's fables, cropping that selfie in your new fit, flopping on the couch to nap for a bit, whopping headache from too much fun, mopping the floors after it's all done. Merry Christmas, you say with a shout, rarely stopping to consider what it's really all about. And if you know anything else that rhymes with opping, let me know. I think I covered them all. But that's that last line, rarely stopping to consider what Christmas is all about. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to uh, just, just share a series with you called Considering Christmas. Considering Christmas. And I want to take some time to do that t- tonight with you. Um, on uh, my family, we, we take uh, and practice, and we've just, we began to do this a couple of months ago, practicing Sabbath uh, on Mondays. And uh, it took us a while to figure out the day, but we, uh, we, and you might be like, well, what is, what is that? We basically don't do any work at all. No, no paid work, no unpaid work, no housework, 
No work at all. Uh, and it is lovely. Uh, we turn off the phone. So if you've been trying to get a hold of me on Mondays, don't because you won't. Uh, I, we don't pick up the phone. And it is just, it is this, this amazing. My, my wife was saying too, her happiest days are the days where, you know, it's like not on, you know, there's no social media or whatever. It's like we just start realizing uh, this and and we spend some time as a family. We'll get uh, in the morning after we do like a special breakfast. We bring out the fine china. Well, what's one of the fine china? But the, the tall glasses and whatever else. We you know we have this this fun breakfast together as a family. We'll move to our living room. We'll sit in a circle and we'll just t- talk as a family about our highs and lows and where we've seen God at work in our life over the past week, uh, and just being in this encouragement to one another. And feel free to copy us. I would love for you to do that. Uh, this week we um, read a passage from Psalm chapter 8, and I just want to read it to you. You can stay in Matthew, but Psalm chapter 8 just said this, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're even mindful of him? What is man that you even think of him? And the son of man that you'd visit him. What's he, he's, you know, as we sat there with our kids, we were just like, man, when you ponder how great God is. When you think about creation and you think about all of these amazing things of him, it really puts, uh, puts things in perspective that his incredible greatness, and yet, you know, so often we're unaware of it. And that's what the psalmist is saying. When I stop and I consider, you know, the word consider just simply means this, to think carefully about, especially before making a decision. To think carefully about, especially before making a decision. And so I wanted to talk about that about Christmas how, how often do we consider Christmas? Like really think carefully about it, especially before making a decision. It's so easy to get used to the routine of Christmas without truly slowing down to consider the wonder, the mystery, the joy, the hope of this event. Yeah, we can say it, but to just really sit back and allow it to permeate our very lives, the real lives we're really living right now. And so I want to look at Matthew's account um, with you tonight. His account of the, this great event, this, this purpose for Christmas, and, you know, pondering, considering, what did he write and why did he write it? You know, the story for Matthew did not begin at a manger. He wasn't there. It, he wouldn't even have wrote about the manger if it hadn't been for a cross and a tomb. It was actually, this is where, this is where Matthew's um, story started. He came to a, a tomb and realized that the tomb was an empty tomb where his, the, the, the body of his friend Jesus was, had just been there. And, you know, they, they don't take the bodies out. Of this. He had walked out. He was risen from the dead. And they realized, they're like, he really is who he said he is. He, he is the son of God. He is, he, he is the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior we've been waiting for. And so they, him and a few others wrote their eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus and um, captured some of the, the other eyewitnesses uh, from the people who were there. So Matthew chapter 2, um, even if you just go back to Matthew 1 verse 18, just flip a page back, here's what Matthew writes. He's like, this is what happened. Verse 18, he says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. He's like, I'm telling you something that happened. I'm not writing a story. I'm not writing, you know, you know, uh, a, a gazillion billion years ago or a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, there was a stable. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't writing a story. He's writing, this is what happened. This is what we saw. Matthew discovered that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he wanted others to be able to discover that for themselves. So he's writing, and he, he, Matthew's account, he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to people who, who had um, read and been raised on the Old Testament scriptures, which they only knew it to be the scriptures. 
He, he knew that they had, that's what they had been raised on. He's like, I'm going to make a case. I want to make a case from the Old Testament that Jesus is who we've been waiting for. That the whole Old Testament has been pointing to him. You know, he may have told them, don't ignore the Old Testament. He may tell us the same thing. Don't ignore the Old Testament. Recognize that it, it was pointing to Jesus the, the whole time. And as Matthew begins to write, he basically is asking his audience, and I would say the same tonight, consider this. Here's my case. Consider this. And so we're going to just read Matthew's account just simply as it's written. I'd encourage you to follow along. Um, because really tonight, we don't really need clever words as much as we need the word. That it is just enough. Paul actually, as I was reading this week, Paul encouraged Timothy uh, in his letters. He said to him at one point, he's like, Timothy, I want you to preach and teach, but I want you just to read the scriptures to the church. Just, just read them. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to do that. going to share some thoughts on it after, um, but I, they may be very different ones than what jump out at you tonight. And so I'd encourage you, and I often do this with our kids as we're reading through, if something jumps out at you, highlight it, mark it, put something there that the next time you come by, you'll remember this moment and, and, and dig a little deeper as to why it jumps out at you. So in Matthew chapter 2, let's read together, which means I'll read out loud and you just follow along. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Can you picture it? King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, Hey, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to search for the child to kill him. So that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, and he returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. 
This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. As I read that story again, I've read it so many times, just what reminded of the contrasts that we see between Herod and the wise men, their reactions, their responses, you know, to, to the birth of Jesus in the story. They're actually very reflective of a lot of responses and reactions we have from people today. And, and Matthew's writing what happened as a warning and as an encouragement to those who would ever read this in the future. He probably never realized that in a little town of Balmoral, there would be people reading his account. But the warning and the encouragement remain as powerful today as it were back then. Did you realize that these guys, they're living in a time when biblical prophecy is being fulfilled in real time? I thought that's, that's incredible. They're like Matthew saying, hey, this is what the prophet said and it's happening right now. And, you know, I think there's many of us who consider that thought as well, that we might very well be living in a time where biblical prophecy is being, is happening in real time. I, I don't, I mean, it's, I, I find it a little bit humorous, but how many people have told me, you know, over the last year or so that they've started reading Revelation? Like way more people are reading Revelation now than ever before. It's like they read the news, like, where's that in Revelation, right? It's like, but I think it's great. I think that, that we've encouraged people for the last little while to live ready. It's good being that in, in, the, in the book and, and, and looking for what, may, what he may be doing. That's what Matthew was trying to explain to them. He's like, hey, the signs were all there. We, you know, we seem to have missed it all this time, but the guy rose from the dead. So we went back and realized, oh yeah, there's a picture. There's something pointing to him. There's another one pointing to him. He says, you know, live, live ready. Matthew actually tells us about the wise men and, and how they came from the east to Jerusalem. They came to the capital city and they start asking questions about a new king. And here we have it in verse 2. So you can go back to verse 2. It says this, where is, here's the question. They come to Jerusalem like, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Think about that for a minute. Here's some pretty important guys. These are wealthy people but they, and, they, and they're important, but they recognize there's somebody more important than them in their midst. There's somebody more important than them. Didn't matter how important they were, they were like, there's something special about this king. You know, there's something about him that matters. And they just, you know, they, they heard the message through the star. It's why we actually put a star up on the building here to, to, uh, this week. And maybe you saw it as you, you were driving in. Our hope is that people are going to see that star even as we get ready for Christmas. And as they come into that building, they'll have that similar thing of like, we, we, we saw the star and we're coming to, to we want to we understand what's, uh, what's happening here, what's going on. But this is the message that God was just revealing himself to them through creation. And he still does the same today. But here they are. They see a star and they're drawn to it. They're drawn to it. There's something in their heart that's like, man, come on. There's something about this you need to find the answer to. There's, there's this longing on the inside. Like we, we, we want to, we're going to go wherever this takes us, but we want to find what's at the end of this star. We want to find this king. Herod, on the other hand, is the opposite. You know, Matthew also tells us his, verse three, says King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this message, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And as I, read, as I read that, I thought, man, whoever these three magi were, the, you know, the magi, they, they, uh, they weren't just some like, you know, three little, uh, little guys on little camels or whatever you see in the cartoons. It was probably more like this picture where there's like a whole group of them because they're a big deal. Uh, when, they, when, they, when they get to Jerusalem, people notice 
You ever, you know, you ever have that where you like, you see a, you know, a sweet ride go by uh, and you're like, hey, you just have to turn. Like we have the same uh, exotic cars drive by our house. They take 55, like, I don't know, like a bunch of times uh, every week through the summer. And every time it's like, oh, got to stop and watch. Which one's in which order now? Is the green one first? It's like, you just got to watch. Or when a Tesla drives into our parking lot here and the gullwing doors go, you're like, oh, who is it? If you're here tomorrow, you might get to see. But it's, that, it's, it's like, it's noticeable. And that's what happened. We're picturing a major, major city. And it's not three little guys coming around asking questions. People are like, oh, these are important people. And they're asking questions about a new king. And the word gets back to Herod. And Herod hears the message and it says he's deeply disturbed. The historian Josephus tells us that Herod the Great, he, the reason he was disturbed we, we get some insight into that because this was a guy who was king and he was determined to stay king. He, he, the, when he heard there's another king, that was a major problem for him. So to the point where he, I forget how many wives he had, but he had nine sons. And uh, out of his nine sons, as his you know, three eldest sons got to the place where he heard that they were thinking about becoming king, he had them all executed. And then when the mom tried to protect them, Marianne, he had her executed too. Because nobody was going to stop him from being king. I'm the king. Nobody's going to get in the way, including my own kids. It's the reason why he executed and had all those babies. And they say about possibly 14,000 is the number I read. But we, we don't fully know. All those babies in the surrounding area of, uh, of Bethlehem that would be under the age of two, he's like, has them all executed for the same reason. One of them might be the one who's going to try and become king. You know, I thought about that. That reaction, we're like, we don't really see that happen where people are like, oh, yeah, we'll have people killed so they don't, they don't, uh, they don't tell me what to do or whatever. We don't, we don't see that. But what we do see is that there's people who say, I, I, I don't know that I want God to be king of my life. I, I don't, I, I'm okay to believe in a God, but I, he, I don't want him telling me what to do. Uh, I want to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be my own master. I don't really want there to be a new king in my life. And so for some, they remain hard-hearted and, and resistant to a, to a new king. And yet there's others who have that same thing as the wise men, that open-hearted, not, not hard-hearted, an open-hearted response to the message that, oh, wow, someone truly great, greater than me is present. And they recognize that Emmanuel, that it's God with us. And they're like, I, I, we, we surrender, we, we worship you know, I said earlier that Jesus came as a baby in a manger once, but the next time he comes, it ain't going to be like that. He's coming on a white horse with an army because he is king. He is Lord. He conquered death. He already is Lord. It's just up to us to say, okay, we acknowledge and we surrender. But for so many, like, no, I want to be, good luck. I gratefully am like, he's Lord. And Jesus, if there's areas in my life that require your lordship yet, uh, I, 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 I surrender. We sang it this morning or earlier. He's the lion and the lamb. He will be the lamb to those who have put their trust in him, but he will come like a lion to those who haven't. You know, we see Herod's response to this declaration that Jesus is king. We see his response in Matthew 2 verse 4. We read it one more time. He says, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked them, Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is where the prophet wrote. 
And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Here they're telling Herod, this is, <laughs> this is what it says. This is where he's going to be born. So then Herod calls for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learns from them when the time happens, and then he tells them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, then come back and tell me what I, uh, so that I can go and worship him too. You know, as I read this again, just reminded that Herod hears the news that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And, and what does he do? He asks other people to do his investigation for him. Oh, there's a new King. Oh, Jesus is King. Okay, um, you guys go check it out for me. And I'm like, as I thought about it, I was reminded, man, we, we have that happen today. It can happen with me. It can happen with you. It's like, you know how it happens? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus is king. Um, I'll let other people determine that for me. I'll listen to, to pastors preach or online messages and never dig into the word for themselves. Never dig in to say, no, I, I, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know what it says my, for myself. I, I'm going to dig in deep. Uh, and there's so many, I love it here because uh, Jackie has helped us along the, uh, uh, she was kind of like the spearhead for, for years ago where there's so many preset Bible studies now where people can be like, we can go and study the word for ourselves. Anybody been in a precept study? Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. I love that there's that many hands. Simply that we'd be like, no, you know what? I'm going to open the book and I'm going to open my heart. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I will search carefully to know. Not Herod. Yeah, he's like, you know what? Nah, you, somebody else can do it for me. And, and if you find something, then you, go, you come tell me. You know, I'm, I'm happy to show up and you just tell me what the Bible says. He's like, no, there's, there's a different thing. And then he says to the, to the wise men, you know, you guys go search carefully. And then, you know, you do it for me. Then I will worship him too. If you guys can go out there, find this kid, bring back a stunning report of how amazing he is, then, you know, I, I, I'll go worship. And you see that same that same attitude, that same thought process that happens here, it's like often waiting for the worship leader to like spur us to, to worship. That they're the, the ones who be like, we got to say these great things so that people will respond to who God is or that they will play the right songs and do it for you. And, and, and it's, I, I, I laugh sometimes because uh, I'll hear people, you know, worship, worship in church is like the thing, right? Every, everybody's got an idea of what it's supposed to look like, and it never, <laughs> never is that. And so it's like this, this complaint of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame, you know, blame the worship team for the fact that I can't worship God. I'm like, it's, a, it's Sunday, people, just so you know. It's not you guys, right? So, but it's that, it's that like they blame the worship team for the fact that they haven't, you know, taken the time to just discover who he is. It really shouldn't matter what song is playing. It shouldn't even matter where, where you are or wherever. It's just like, God, I'm considering you. Consider the work of your hands, the stars. Man, who am I that you're mindful of me? But the fact that you are, God, thank you. I, I, I just worship you for who you are. But we're so apt to let somebody else do it for us. You know, Jesus taught the crowds... In Israel, 30 years later, he would teach them this. What? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, keep on seeking and you'll find. You know, some is like, man, I, I don't know if I've got there yet. And we were talking about finding Christ. We're like, the, the key to finding Christ is to seek him. Keep on seeking. Like the wise men, they're like, we're going to keep on seeking until we find him. And then, you know, I, I love that quote that says, wise men still seek him for themselves. Wise men still seek him for themselves. Matthew 2, verse 9, we, we get the, the, uh, the wise men's um, 
uh, interaction on this. Is this after this interview, the wise men went their way, and they did. They, they said the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. So they're, here they are. They're searching carefully. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child. He's not in a stable anymore. He's in a house and he's, he's a child. He's with his mother, Mary. And they, they bow down and worship him. Here are these guys. like Remember the cold crew? It's probably that. These guys, they, these men get down in front of a toddler and they, the, 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 the word is proskuneu. It's like a dog licking the fingers is what it's described as. It is like they, or, or kissing the ground or kissing the hand. They, they get down on the ground and they worship in front of this child. Why? Because that's what they came to do. They came, they said, that's why we've arrived. We've come to worship him. And man, there was incredible joy. And I believe that's where the joy of being a believer comes from. And when you have that desire, like, God, I just want to, I want to worship you. That's why I've come. That's why I've come to this place. That's why, I, that's why I'm alive. That's why I'm, I'm living out of my, my gratitude for you. There's a joy that comes in from the inside out. Now, no matter how dark and dreary it is out here, it's like there's something percolating in here. It just keeps bubbling up to the top. The joy, the joy. And upon finding him, they bow down. And they worship. And not only that, then they throw a surprise baby shower for him. And they, they like bring out their treasure chest and like they give him gold and silver and myrrh and these expensive gifts. Why? Man, they value this opportunity to know this king. I thought, I thought about that. Man, the words of the song we sang. I'll trade my treasures. I'll trade my rewards. The, the, the stuff in our world becomes less and less of a value to us in the light of knowing who he is and to know him. And I keep encouraging us to, to continue, Jesus, that I might know you and, and know you more. It's why they came. But Matthew would later write and explain why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. And he would quote Jesus' own words. So Matthew describes a scene in Matthew 9. Actually, flip over there for a minute. Go to Matthew 9. It's our, I think I believe our last scripture for tonight. Matthew 9. He describes why Jesus came. And uh, it was actually, this takes place shortly after Matthew actually meets Jesus. So everything before this, he heard from somebody else and wrote it down. He wasn't there for, you know, those early things. Jesus comes up to a tax collector's booth and there's Matthew. And he says to Matthew, the, the very unthinkable happened. Matthew, come follow me. Come follow me. He calls him by name and he says, you, you know, I can imagine that interaction. Matthew, it's time to stop living your life for your selfish self. You know, you've been stealing from people, you're, people hate you, you know, but I don't. I'm inviting you to, to leave that life behind. I'm inviting you to let me be the one to guide your life from now on. That's what I mean. Come follow me and, and do as I say. And, and Matthew's like, uh, okay, I'll do it. And not only does he follow Jesus, but once again, he's like, I want others to know. I want others to experience what I've just experienced. So he throws a party. And I don't know if the party looks like this, you know, this photo or whatever, but he invites all of his buddies and, and uh, they invite their buddies. And of course, when the buddies all get together, they invite some girls along. And it says, you know, he, he describes it as like, well, I would say like this motley crew of tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Those are the words he uses. These are like tax collectors, disreputable sinners. And they sit down to dinner. And just as they're about to start eating, the religious people show up. And Matthew tells us the rest in Matthew 9 verse 11. Verse 11 to 13, he says this. But when the Pharisees saw this, saw Jesus eating with all these disreputable sinners, he says, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
And Jesus heard them. And he responds to them and says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come. What? Why? Why have I come? I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but I've come to call those who know they're sinners. Matthew writes and says, hey, this is why he came. I came not to call people who think they're righteous or think they're okay. I came to call those who know they're sinners. Paul would echo those words later to Timothy. And he says this in 1 Timothy 1.5. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. That, that's why we need to be considering Christmas like, but wait, wait, not the, you know, the manger or the nativity scene. It's not just a nice Christmas story. Not, not at all. You know, Jesus uh, and, and the New Testament writers would not say that that's why he came. They're like, I came for a specific reason. And, you know, I'd encourage you to, th- to really ponder this. Because as we reach out to our world around us, I, we need to be great at sharing the gospel, the good news. Why, why do you celebrate Christmas? What is this all about? Because Jesus came to save sinners. Paul knew he was chief. Man, I'm right up there on the list. I was one of them. He came to save me. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, I came to accept sinners. Jesus didn't sit in that place with them to say, you know, hey, fellas, just want you guys to feel better about yourselves. I know you're kind of, you know, lying, thieving, cheats and whatever else, but I'm, you know, you're good with me. He, He didn't, he didn't, Um, sit with them to accept them. He wasn't loving and affirming of their lifestyles and their choices. That's not why he was sitting with them. He loved them way too much to do that. He came to call them out of that. It's why when he said to Matthew, Matthew, leave the booth and come follow me. He told the woman caught in adultery, leave your life of sin. He said to Zacchaeus, you know, Zacchaeus left his life of cheating others. I'm not doing that anymore. And even the story of the prodigal son, In the story of the prodigal son, what is it? The kid who's sitting in the pig pen. What does Jesus tell the story? He left the pig pen behind and says, I'm done with this life. I just want to go back to my father. And that's the message of Christmas. And I think it's really important that we consider it because in a world that's like, doesn't want to hear those kinds of things, they're deeply disturbed to hear messages like that. To the point where it's almost like, well, that's hate speech or whatever. It is the most powerful message ever. It is why Jesus came. Here's the message. There's a new king in town, and he came to save sinners. There's a new king in town, and he came to save sinners. He's Savior and Lord. So the question today is, what will our response be? What will our response be as followers of Jesus? What will our response be as we think we're followers of Jesus? What will our response be as people listening who are not followers of Jesus? Or the response of those around you who are not followers of Jesus? What will it be? Deeply disturbed or great joy? Will you be open-hearted to him or hard-hearted against it and say, ugh, it's pushing and I'm going to push back. There's one last scripture, Hebrews 3, where the writer to Hebrews just wanted to let them know that Jesus is greater than anything else. He said to this, Hebrews 3, verse 12, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Jesus followers, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, which is what I'm doing here tonight. He says, while it's still today, so that none of you will be what? Deceived by sin and hardened against God. That's the process of how hardening the heart works. You get deceived by sin, you're like, oh, I'm going to go down that road, and your heart becomes hardened to him. He says, don't do that. 
I'm warning you, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this out there. Matthew is the same thing, writing this, saying Jesus came for that purpose. So will you slow down and consider Christmas today? Or will you get caught up and distracted in the busyness? Will you be like the wise men and seek him for yourself today? And I mean that. Will you be like, you know what? Christmas has got all of this trappings. But Jesus, I just want you. I, I, I'm considering you. I, I want to know you. And realizing that it's him and him alone that brings light into the darkness. And it's he alone who brings joy to the downtrodden. No matter how many gifts we give to the food bank and to the neighbors and to whatever else, the one they need is Christ alone. And that we would consider the manger and the cross this Christmas. And that we would consider people who need to hear the message of the manger and the cross this Christmas. And think about them as like the names that come to mind. Man, I encourage you to invite them. Invite them to one of those services that, uh, at Christmas time where they have a chance to hear it or better yet, just tell them. Just tell them about Jesus, the light of the world. We're going to end tonight with a song. So invite the musicians back up. We don't normally do it this way, but give the opportunity to respond tonight in uh, any way you uh, say you feel to respond, but to give you the opportunity to respond in worship to who he is. As we sing this song, it's, man, the lyrics just fit so well with the thoughts tonight. In the darkness, we were waiting. Without hope, without light. That's where we were. Till from heaven he came running with mercy in his eyes. So why don't you stand with us and we'll sing together. Cause in the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven came wrong, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophet to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to cradle in the Sing praise the Father and praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, and God of glory and majesty, praise forever to the King again. kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was my salvation jesus for our sins you died Thank you, we sing praise the Father and praise the Son, oh praise the Spirit. 
In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels that stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. For His blood and in His name, and in His freedom we are free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Father and praise the Son, oh praise the Spirit, three in one. You're the God of glory and majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Praise the Father. Jesus, we honor you tonight. We honor you for being the word. We honor you for your word. It's living and powerful and speaks right to the innermost part of us. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives and through our lives. Tonight, as we spent this time here together, believing, <laughs> believing that we hear your voice, you leading our lives. For those, Father, who have not surrendered to your lordship tonight, we just lift them up before you. May they recognize your voice, recognize who you really are. May that truth of Christmas to become so real in, uh, in and to them. God, thank you for the opportunity, the second chance that you've given us. For those who have <laughs> gotten caught up and the busyness of all that goes around this season. Help us to slow down. Help us to hear that still, small voice just calling us to be with you. Jesus, thank you for the cross, that you made it possible. And so we gratefully, gratefully consider you this Christmas. Consider you even today. Just a chance to know you and be with you. Pray be glorified through it. Lord, may it be for our good. Praise in your name. Amen.